Hello everyone, welcome to our first webinar for 2019. Thank you for tuning in today. Our speaker today will be covering level of service requirements for freight on rural roads, as well as heavy vehicle roughness band index. My name is Liz and I'm the moderator today and can also provide technical support. If you're experiencing any issues, you can contact me by using the question section in your webinar sidebar. This webinar is proudly brought to you by Osroads. We are the peak organisation of Australia's road transport and traffic agencies. We undertake leading edge road and transport research, which underpins our input to policy development and publish guidance on the design, construction and management of the road network and infrastructure. Here at Osroads, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This Osroads project falls under the assets program. So just a few housekeeping items in terms of timings, the presentation will run for approximately 35 minutes and then we have 15 minutes at the end for a live Q&A. As usual, we are recording at the moment and we'll email you once the recording has been uploaded on our website shown as well as on our podcast. If you'd like a copy of the slides that we're using, you can download it in the handout section in your sidebar. Please join in the conversation in the Q&A at the end by sending through your questions and comments. Simply type your questions into the questions box that you can see in your sidebar anytime throughout the webinar. To help us answer your question as best as we can, we ask that you let us know the slide number your question relates to if possible. Information presented is based on information in the Osteroids report. You can download the report in the handout section in your sidebar or from the Osteroids website. All of Osteroids guides and publications are free to access online or in PDF format. If you haven't already done so, please create an account on our website for access and to sign up for Roadwatch publication and webinar alerts. And before I hand it over to today's presenter, I'd like to let you know more about him. Our presenter is Ulysses I, who is a senior professional leader in the Next Generation Asset Management team at ARB. He has led projects for 11 years as a research scientist within ARB's asset management team. The majority of his work focuses on conducting experimental work, new areas of research, and the transferal of research findings into practical methods. Hi, Ulysses. It's great to have you here today. Uh, good day, Liz, and good afternoon, everyone. So Ulysses will now take over and start presenting the content. All right, thank you, Liz, and uh, good afternoon again, everyone. So to begin with, um, the agenda for this presentation is I'm going to begin by talking a little bit about the project background and introduction. This current project has followed on from uh, two previous projects, which have formed a background to this larger body of work. So I'll be giving a little bit of detail about those and showing how they feed into the current project. And then I'll be talking about year one and year two of the project in turn. So year one has a focus on um, developing level of service standards for freight vehicles on rural roads. And year two is looking at the development of a fleet ride index. Now in the title of the report and indeed of this webinar, um, they refer to the refinement of the, the heavy vehicle roughness band index. So this fleet ride index is the refinement of that heavy vehicle roughness band index. So that refinement has involved a change of name and I'll be talking about that a little bit later on. And then at the end, there'll be a Q&A where I'll be able to answer any questions you have throughout. So to begin with the um, project background and introduction. So first thing I'm talking a little bit about, about the team. So um, 
this project was overseen by Cassandra Simpson from Vic Rose, and uh, Vic Rose also provided me with a lot of assistance, especially at the Geelong office, in finding um, some sites for us to test on and also some of the data um, that helped in that process. So thanks to Vic Rose for that. Um, within ARB, I had a bit of a revolving team as we were covering a lot of different types of um, work within this project. Um, I called on, on various people within the team, so I'd just like to acknowledge their, their contribution. And then finally, the, the outputs of this project um, were reviewed by both the Ethics Task Force and the Freight Task Force. So I'd like to acknowledge their, their contributions um, to the report. Uh, in particular, Mick Savage from Wikiar was very helpful providing some insightful comments. So to begin talking about those previous projects, the first one was this one, defining asset management level of service requirements for freight on rule arterial roads. You'll notice the title of this one is very similar to the first part of the, the title for the, the current project. And that was because this was the project which immediately preceded the current project and involved uh, a lot of the same kind of work. So in some ways, the first year of this current project was a continuation of this previous project. And so that project involved undertaking surveys of drivers and operators and also infrastructure managers to really try and identify what were the level of service factors actually contributed to uh, a road having uh, been regarded as having a higher level of service for heavy vehicles, uh, in particular just the infrastructure factors. And so the findings we found from those surveys of all of those groups were that the three main things were ride comfort or ride quality, then the width and condition of the road shoulder, and then the road and ridge geometry, referring to the, the lane width, etc. Interestingly, these um, same three factors were also identified through a literature review, which was mostly from a number of papers coming out of North America, and those drivers in those places also identified these exact three same things as being the key infrastructure factors that determine level of service. So after that was obtained um, in this previous project, they also went out and did fieldwork to obtain subjective ratings of ride quality and safety uh, on A and C class roads. They had a test loop out near in Chelsea, where they drove around on the public roads in various types of cars, a passenger car, a rigid truck, and a vehicle, and got the drivers in those vehicles to provide subjective ratings um, at various points on those roads. The other previous project was a little bit uh, before that, um, wrapping up in 2012. The title of that was identifying the best measure of the variation in longitudinal service profile for using triggering pavement rehabilitation work. So that involved doing a lot of field work collecting vibration data from a range of different heavy vehicle configurations under different loading conditions. The intention there was to really try and uh, quantify what the actual vibrations were or the, the effect of different configurations and loadings on the vibrations being experienced. And this was actually the product that, uh, sorry, the project that resulted in the development of the heavy vehicle roughness band index. Um, and the key concept coming out of that was the band in that name is basically referring to an attempt to really capture the, the range of response you see in heavy vehicles because all heavy vehicles being so different, there is a, a huge range of response, much so more than you see within a passenger car. So that was the, the main intent of that project and of collecting that vibration data from that whole range of those heavy vehicle configurations. So with those two projects being serving as feeding to this current project in year one and year two respectively, and in some ways, both of these years were uh, continuing the, the work that was begun in those previous projects. So in year one, once again, we undertook a lot of experimental work to determine the level of service standards for freight roads, uh, freight vehicles for rural roads. So you can see there some of the things we did that were the same and some of the key things were different. So this time we included the B road. So we were testing on A, B and C roads. We included the semi-trailer into the heavy vehicles that we were testing. 
Uh, and the big difference from the previous project was that this time we put the same drivers in each of the different vehicle types. So we went and we hired professional B-double drivers and got them to drive the SOB double, but also the semi-trailer, the bridge truck, and the passenger car as well. In the previous project, they had unique groups of drivers for each of those vehicle types. And in year two, where we came to further in the development of the ride quality index, we did retain some key concepts from the previous work, um, namely that, that desire to be able to represent the range of response you see across the heavy vehicle fleet, although we've started calling it an envelope, which is I think more appropriate than a band. But then one of the changes we decided to do was to, to build on the progress made by the truck road index and by the heavy articulated truck index, because both of those follow a methodology similar to the development of IRI. And since this is very much trying to come up with an IRI for heavy vehicles, we decided we should follow that um, methodology since it's had a lot more traction than what we were using previously. The previous one, which I won't go into, did have some merit, um, but it doesn't have the same kind of awareness as the, the quarter vehicle models that are the basis of both HACI and also um, CRI and indeed of um, IRI as well. So it might seem like these two years of the project are quite different, but these are really um, tackling this key interaction between both the road and the vehicle um, from both sides. So really trying to capture the, all the variables that are at work. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go into year one and elaborate on some of the, um, the experimental work we did and then the findings from that. So with the field work that we, we conducted, um, these are all of the vehicles that we, we used in our fieldwork. So we had the passenger car for reference, and then the three types of heavy vehicle, the, um, the rigid truck, the semi-trailer, and the V-double. And you can see here, these are all of the, the sites that we, um, all the types of roads that we included in our fieldwork, the A, B, and the C-class road. And this is out near Geelong. Uh, in the bottom right-hand corner of the map there, you might be able to see the town of Sciences, which apparently it's claimed to fame if it had a large concrete plant there at some point in its history. So we're using this as our um, base operations, and so we'll drive that along the C road, uh, and then along the A road, turn around, and then come back again. And along each of these roads, we had a number of sites, and so because we were driving through these sites in both directions, that essentially meant we had two sites at each one of those points. And then we'd drive along the B road, and unfortunately, we had to go all the way out to Inverley before we found a place where a B double could actually make a U-turn. So that B road was a little bit longer than we actually needed it. So that afforded us um, a lot more opportunities to create sites on that road for analysis. So what we were basically doing with this field work is we were testing both ride quality and safety. And what you can see here in these photos is how, basically how we marked out uh, those sites. So in addition to getting a nice view of the countryside that we were enjoying during our, our week of field work, you can see here on the right that we marked out 300 metre length of each of these roads for the ride quality sites. And um, we marked that with paint on the road and also we had stakes on the side of the road with the extremists for additional visibility. It was still possible to miss the site, um, even with those extremists, unfortunately. Um, then on the right, the photo on the right, you can see how we marked out the safety site. In this case, it was unnecessary to mark a single point on the road. However, we wanted to minimise uh, variations and so we took a care to make sure that when we selected each one of these locations for safety, we made sure the view of the road ahead was very consistent. So the road was very straight and there was no noticeable, noticeable variation in the width of the lane or of the shoulder. And so no matter how far ahead they looked, they got a very consistent view of the road, which should have um, then led to some, um, basically removed the, the possible variations from the, that part of the, um, the experiment. 
just to say a little bit more about how, um, so, so basically with both the, with both the rifles and the safety sites, we use this five-star rating system. We've asked them to provide a, a star rating because this was considered to be a rating system that was very, um, very relatable, very familiar for people where people understand that one star is a low rating and five stars is a high rating. Even so, we reiterated this in the briefings. We gave the drivers beforehand at the start of each day, but then also the supervisors who were riding in the vehicles with the drivers, they also um, reiterated this uh, whenever it was appropriate. And so with ride vlogging safety, um, we were asking the fundamental questions of how comfortable is the road to drive in this vehicle, or if it was a safety site, how safe is the road in terms of the lane and the pivot shoulder width. We made sure we focused their attention on those aspects of the road because they are the infrastructure aspects contributing to that sense of perceived safety. So just to elaborate a little bit more on the, how we assess the, the roughness sites or the ride quality sites, one of the things that we um, did that was different in the current project is that we basically asked them to provide a rating of the ride quality at the beginning, middle and end of each 300 meter test site. And the reason we did that is because of some observations that came out of the previous field work in the previous project. In that project, what they did was they would tell the drivers, okay, we're entering the test site now. And then they'd say, okay, we've exited the test site. How would you rate the roughness on a scale of one to five? And it turned out that a lot of the ratings that were provided by the drivers were unduly affected by conditions of the site right at the end. I was told the story um, by a couple of the operators, independently in fact, that there was one particular site that was very smooth throughout, except for at the very end, in the last 10 meters or so, it had some quite some quite large bumps on the road. And so they were getting a lot of ratings or one or two stars, simply because people were so affected by that, um, the roughness of the road right at the end of the site, they forgot all about the smooth travel they had beforehand. So by getting three uh, ratings for each 300 meter site, I uh, on the one hand get um, three samples of that, that roughness, or at least of the average roughness of the site, but also I was hoping to be able to detect um, how sensitive the drivers were to the changing in the, the roughness. So what you can see on this first site here is that the roughness throughout is about 2.5. It's quite consistent across the site. So hopefully the three ratings we receive from drivers will be quite consistent. Whereas the other one, you can see that the, it starts out with quite of a higher IRI, but then it goes down, so it's getting a bit smoother. And so hopefully our, the ratings would reflect that. As it turns out, um, some of the drivers were sensitive to that within their individual ratings, um, but Overall, when you, when you look at the results in aggregate, it tends to wash out that sensitivity. Um, the other point about this, of course, is it also allows us to detect if the drivers were understanding the scale and believe it or not, some of them, or one in particular, I should say, got it backwards. For some reason, you thought that five stars meant it was a bad road. So what I'm showing you here is just the um, all the results in a, in a single slide for ride quality. You could refer to the report if you want to have a look at the results in more detail. But basically what this is showing is uh, each one of these dots is uh, the mean rating for all of the ratings that were um, given for a particular site, because each site had a slightly different um, IRI, and so that allows us then to plot them here against their IRI and the mean rating that they received. And so these results with the trend lines drawn um, show the two things that show us that um, the results are, uh, were generally, or the experimental procedure was generally understood. Firstly, you can see that the trend lines are going in the right direction. So as the road gets rougher, more uncomfortable, the rating is going down. And also we see that the passenger car, which was objectively 
smoother ride. Um, it's actually shown here being rated as um, a smoother ride. You've seen that there's not a lot of difference between the heavy vehicles, um, which is perhaps interesting. This difference here is, is not significant. So I'll, I'll discuss a little bit more about that later. Similarly, when we look at the, the overall results of safety, you can see once again, they're going in the right direction. As the road gets wider in terms of the half steel width, which is the addition of the lane width and the steel shoulder width, so the total amount of room they have to move the vehicle if they need to. You can see that as that length gets, sorry, as that width gets wider, the um, the ratings go up. Um, and once again, the, the passenger car, smaller, simpler vehicle, um, is rated much higher as you'd expect. It's perhaps a bit interesting in this case that there's not a lot of difference between the heavy vehicles. Um, if you think about this difference between a, red, a rigid truck, which is shown here in red, and then the uh, the articulated vehicles, especially the V-double, shown in yellow. You'd think that the rigid truck, being a much shorter vehicle, would have far less safety concerns. Uh, when you um, average the results, that doesn't come out uh, across the board for all the drivers. That may be a product of the fact um, that we selected the site uh, on straight bits of road, so they were perhaps less concerned about the length of the vehicle, although given that they were traveling at 100 kilometers per hour with the transverse movement of, um, of trailers, we would have thought that would still be a safety concern. And you did see that in some of the individual ratings, that when you average it out, then you don't see that you know, in this presentation of the results. What I'm showing you here now is um, basically when you undertake the analysis of all the results, if you just direct your attention to just the table at the top here. So in the first column, I've got all of the subjective ratings and then the, the ranges of half the width and of IRI um, that relate to those subjective rating ranges. And what you're seeing here at the bottom is basically where I've plotted each of those um, ratings, color-coded um, over the top of the actual um, physical infrastructure parameter in each case. So just looking at the half to width, what these markers are showing are basically these are construction standards for A, B and C class roads over various traffic ranges uh, for when the road is constructed or rehabilitated. And so you can see that um, when uh, the road is sort of built to, to fix, so to speak. This is essentially coming right in the middle of the subjective range um, from the customer's point of view. And so that's a good thing. So it means that if there was a desire for any reason to increase the, the level of service provided by the road in terms of the construction standard or in terms of the width being provided, at least you have got a lot of room to move. And, um, and, the, and the perception of the customer is that um, roads as constructed are certainly not of a low standard, which is certainly what you want to see. Similarly, with the, um, the IRI, referring to the, the ride quality, these markers here are actually the, the intervention standards um, under the Vic Road policy. Um, so these are actually the values of IRI that the road should not be allowed to reach. So, for example, a freeway should never get down to 3.5. So by this point, you should have intervened already. Um, so that would keep a freeway, for example, in the, the high or very high range um, for the subjective rating. So once again, you can see that uh, this would basically keep the subjective rating of all, all the roads in question, of the rural roads, um, uh, basically in the, the mid to high range, which is definitely what you would want. Uh, and so you're avoiding that lower range. So that would only come about, you'd only be getting subjective ratings if um, for some reason there's not the ability to maintain the road to the standards that have been set. So at this point, um, just a reminder that you can send in any questions you have about um, anything that I'm talking about, and we'll answer those at the end. 
And if you want to refer to the slide number, we'll be able to go back to that at the end um, uh, in order to help answer your question. So going on now back to year two of this project. So a lot of the data we collected in year one um, actually fed into year two, as well as the data from the, the previous projects. But the key bit of data that we, we collected while we're out doing that full work is the actual vibration data. And this was collected in accordance with the Australian standard on uh, measuring and analyzing vibration data. So we collected this data through a seat pad that had accelerometers in it. So it's actually measuring, measuring the vibrations at the point where they enter the driver's body. We're just talking about vertical vibrations here, I should stress. What you're seeing on the screen now here is these are actually the typical results or examples of the typical results we got from um, all of our vibration data. So there are these two types. What's the same about um, all the results was that the, you can see here the, so I'll take a moment just to say that these are power spectral density plots. So you can see along the bottom here the frequency. And so what all these lines are showing you is basically the amount of vibration you had at each frequency. And so what's the same about all of these, these results is you can see that the, the rigid truck, which is shown in red here, is showing a very high response in this range, two to four hertz in both cases, whereas the other vehicles are not showing much of a response in that range. The thing that's different about these two and which define the two groups is the fact that the, the excuse me, the articulated vehicles, shown here the yellow for the, the P double and green for the semi-trailer, these are actually varying quite a lot between the two examples, between the two sets of results. Um, you should note here that scale is not the same in each case. The one on the left is approximately double the one on the right. And so you can see that actually the rigid truck going to the mid to low teens in both cases is actually pretty consistent, consistently bad, I might add. But the, um, it's actually the, the articulated vehicle which is varying a lot. So these results actually are very much in line with what we expect. The articulated vehicles, firstly, um, both had uh, road friendly suspension, which is designed to limit vertical vibrations to less than two hertz. Um, and so you can see that's actually happening here. Well, you're not getting a lot of vibration above two hertz in, in either case. Um, and also because the articulated vehicles are uh, a more complex vehicle, a more complex system, and also being longer, they effectively sample a much greater length of the road at any one time. So for both these reasons, you would expect there to be a lot more variations for the articulated vehicles. And so that's what we see within these two examples, representing the trends that we saw within the rest of our results. So, so far, this is giving us the um, the kind of um, results that we expect. When it comes to actually analyzing this vibration data, there's actually a couple of ways that we can go and um, analyze it. So what we decided to do was um, either the peak analysis um, or the sum of all vibrations. And so just let me, my, um, so just do a technical problem there. All right, carry on. So basically what's happening uh, with peak analysis is that each of the peaks you see within the vibration response are usually attributable to something, attributable to a, to a known mode of vibration that then allows you to understand a little bit more about what's actually happening within the system. So for example, the, the vertical body bounce peak is around two hertz. And so that's what these peaks here are. And this peak out here, which people are often curious about, this is actually the wheel rotation peak which arises because the the wheels are not perfectly symmetrical. So knowing the, the speed of the vehicle and knowing the diameter of the wheel, we're able to identify exactly what frequency these vibrations are going to be at. And so that's what, what these, um, all these larger peaks are actually. 
So with that as an example, there's a few more that you can identify. Um, these basically give us, allow us to understand a really clear picture of what's actually going on. So what I would subsequently do is that then I would basically take all of these um, vibrations by saying, okay, is there a peak here? What is the frequency of the peak? And then what is the amplitude of it? And then basically placing that into two bins, the blow two hertz and the two to four hertz. And that then allows me to create this kind of chart here as a way of allowing an easier comparison between the performance of different vehicles on different sites. What you're seeing here is quite a typical result where the all of the car, of course, always has the least response, the least amount of total area. The rigid truck always has the largest amount. And furthermore, it also has a very large amount of vibration in the two to four hertz range, much more so than the articulated vehicles. Even when the size of the response from the, the articulated vehicles was approaching the side of the rigid truck, the rigid truck always has a lot more vibration within this range. The other way of being able to analyze vibration data is just to look at the sum of all vibrations. The advantage of the peak analysis method is that it allows you to avoid all the noise that can be present within the signal, but sometimes, in addition to cutting out the noise, you're also cutting out, I suppose, ranges of high response that are not really noise. They're just high ranges of response that's not necessarily collapsing into a peak. A broad frequency response, I suppose I'm saying. And so in that case, what we do then is we, we sum, again, all vibrations within each of these ranges. So whereas the peak analysis is just looking at the peak, so it's just summing the vibrations at the point of each peak, this one is just summing everything within that range. And so this allows us to build up a, a broader picture, if you like, where we can see, once again, the rigid track is clearly providing a, a much worse a response, a more comfortable response than the articulated vehicle, which follow a more uh, consistent, uh, I suppose, uh, frequency shape you would expect. The other thing to, uh, of interest here is this range, 4 to 10 hertz, is actually particularly important because this is the range of frequency over which the human body is particularly sensitive to vertical vibration. And what you're seeing here, even though there's not a lot of response um, in this range, 4 to 10 hertz, you're actually seeing that even so, within the four for the rigid truck, the response is more than double what you see uh, for the articulated vehicle. So even though it's small overall, uh, it's still significant when you're looking at just that range. So just a reminder of what we're doing all this for is we're trying to create this ride quality model. And because of the approach we're taking within this project, we're trying to come up with this ride quality envelope where we're trying to basically say to represent the range of response you see across the heavy vehicle fleet, you want to be able to understand the best performer and the worst performer within the heavy vehicle fleet, uh, fleet that allows you to define that envelope that all heavy vehicles are going to fall within. And so to do that, you need really two things. That is the quarter truck model, which will basically allow you to capture the suspension characteristics, uh, and then the vehicle configuration model, which are based very much on the vehicle characteristics. And the reason why you need both of these is because if you just use the quarter truck model alone, like was done within the truck ride index and within TATI, the heavy articulate truck index, what you're saying is that all heavy vehicles are exactly the same, whether it's a a rigid truck or a B-double. But even within that quarter truck model, not all suspension characteristics are alike. Because uh, yeah, there's so much going on within the system of a heavy vehicle that you can't just use one set of parameters. And so what we want to do to create this right quality envelope in the end is we want to be able to identify the best and the worst performer in these two ways. One, by understanding the range of response you see from the, within the quarter truck model, 
and then the reindeer response you see within the, the vehicle configuration models. And so firstly talking about um, how you get the, the range of response on that quarter truck model. What I've shown here firstly is that these are all of the configurations that we included in our analysis. And so for each one of these, there's going to be a high performer and a low performer, or a best and a worst performer. And these are determined by factors such as the worst performer is going to be an old vehicle, poorly maintained over its lifetime, and it may well have started out with a low quality design. When you compare that with the best performer, it's going to be a newer vehicle, it's well maintained and have a high quality design. So just as a reminder, this is just looking at the difference, the potential difference or the range of difference within the quarter car, sorry, the quarter truck model for just one configuration. And so when you look at how those different quarter vehicle models will perform, just for one configuration, even for this one, you can see you're going to have a range of response. A high quality or high performance and a low performance. Um, and that's just for one configuration. And then imagine this is then multiplied by every single configuration you have. So this, you see on the screen here, this is an example of an envelope. This is just the envelope for the medium rigid truck. And so this is just based on the, um, the considerations of the quarter truck model at this stage. So how did we come up with a, a high and a low performance? Well, what's on your screen now is actually the, the quarter truck model plus the driver and seat model that was developed for TRI for the truck ride index. And what they did was they created this system and then they came up with premises for all of these. So as you probably know, IRI is based on um, a set of parameter values referred to as a golden car. And so within this TRI project, what they tried to do is come up with equivalent parameters and equivalent golden truck, if you like. Uh, and so the approach we're taking in this project, of course, is that that's not valid because the range of responses to in heavy vehicles is so broad. When it came to um, the development of Hattie, what they decided to do was to use this quarter truck model with those same golden truck or average truck parameters as well, although they decided to exclude the seat model. So Hattie is based very much on a quarter vehicle model. It's essentially um, exactly the same as IRI, except we can use different parameters. So in this project, because we're following a similar methodology, we also use the quarter truck model. That instead of using those parameters from TUI, we independently determined our own sets of parameters in a high performance set and then in a low performance set. And so to determine all of these values, we didn't just take the, the value from TRI and then add a little bit or minus a little bit to determine these values. We actually determined them independently by looking at manufacturer specifications and then also at actual real world measurements. And so when we go through and we actually model the results using these parameters and also the ones from um, TRI, these actually come out either side of the ones from Hattie. So that was a uh, a pleasing independent ver verification. These are actually um, a reasonable set of numbers. So just as a reminder, if you're at the point where, okay, we have a high and a low performance uh, quarter vehicle model, what that then does is it still treats all these vehicles on the screen as if they're exactly the same. TRI and Hattie say that, okay, we're giving you an output for the heavy vehicle fleet. All these vehicles are exactly the same. If you have high and low performance, you then take all these vehicles and you essentially divide them into two, high and low. But you're still saying that a, you know, a high performing B double is exactly the same as a high performing uh, rigid truck, which is obviously not the case. And so you need something to enable you to determine how these vehicle configurations perform differently. That's the second half of that um, feed into this 
um, RICOR, the envelope we're trying to develop. And so initially I want to base that on, if I just go back a second, initially I want to base this on having simulations of all these vehicles um, so we could really identify in great detail and quantify what the exact differences were before these configurations. So we had some unforeseen issues within the project that meant we were not able to do that in the end. And so what we did instead was we relied on some of the learning from, our, from the previous projects. This project from 2012 was not without its problems as well, um, such that I was not confident enough in the results to actually bring across any of the, the quantified results that we got. But generally, certainly the, um, the general observations we, we made were valid, and so that's what I brought into this current analysis. So what you see here on the screen is actually the learning from that 2012 project. Once again, we found that the rigid trucks were definitely providing a much rougher ride than the articulated vehicles. A lot of the drivers when we were out doing testing told us that um, adding a, a loaded trailer or putting a load into our rigid truck actually had a stabilizing effect and we were able to definitely confirm that that was true. Um, it was more of a, a fractional effect rather than sort of halving the amount of vibrations. Um, but we found it was definitely true. Semi-trailers that had airbag suspension, uh, they generally performed better than semi-trailers that had steel spring suspension. When you added a, a load to a semi-trailer with steel spring suspension, or if you added a trailer on the set, on the end, that has exactly the same effect of stabilizing the ride as with a rigid truck. However, interestingly, that effect was not seen if you're talking about a, a semi-trailer or a, a B-double that has the airbag suspension. Adding a load or a loaded trailer does not actually have that stabilizing effect. It actually makes it a little bit worse, which was an interesting result. Going, um, looking at the data from year one of the current project, we found once again that the rigid truck produced the most uncomfortable ride as we saw earlier. We found that the B-double had a slightly worse response from the semi-trailer, um, which once again agrees with the previous project results. And then we get some of the quantified results. Um, we saw that the rigid truck has an average response is almost doubled that of the articulated vehicle over that, that range we were analyzing. And then once again, when we look at that, range of peak human sensitivity from 4 to 10 hertz, we can see the rigid track response is almost three times worse than the articulated vehicle. Um, but as I mentioned when I had that chart on the screen before, because the, the response overall is quite low in that range, we've mostly based our, um, our, our subsequent work on the third point here that the rigid track is double uh, the response of the articulated vehicles in general, or the best performing articulated vehicle. So going back to this screen, now we have um, the ability to be able to determine what the difference between all these vehicle configurations should be. So we know that the, the rigid truck there is the worst performer, and we know that the semi-trailer is the best performer, and that the rigid truck is about half as bad. This green line represents one, um, honestly. And then we know that when you add a, a larger load or an additional trailer, then you actually have a bit of a stabilizing effect, and so that allows us to determine coefficients for the other configurations. And then we know that the speed that will be more complex is slightly worse than the semi-trailer. So all these coefficients allow us to distinguish between these different vehicle configurations. So when you bring um, both the differences between the high and low performance and then the different configurations, you actually get these 10 vehicle performance models. And so this what allows you to build a picture of the performance of the heavy vehicle fleet. So this is just the, the output of these 10 vehicle models against uh, a real bit of road that we entered the, the longitudinal profile for. And the units here are, because we better use the, the HACI methodology, it's the same as HACI, um, so it's in meters per kilometer. 
And what you see on the right here, this is the perception scale that's used within HAPI. These were determined by um, using uh, subjective assessments of HAPI, um, determining uh, a range from very poor to very good. So all these 10 vehicle models together, um, with a dotted line is the high performance and the solid line is the low performance, basically allows you to see how um, all these typical vehicles within the heavy vehicle fully perform, thereby representing the fleet as a whole. So then what do you actually do with this information? So what this whole um, project is based on, the fleet ride index, the envelope applications, there's really three ways you can actually um, utilize this. So it's directing your attention to the first row of this table, the fleet envelope is like the, the default response that I've been talking about all this time, where you basically say, okay, for all of those vehicle responses, give me the best, give me the worst, and I know that every other heavy vehicle um, in the fleet is going to be on that, uh, somewhere within that range. And so that would give you this fleet envelope. The custom envelope allows you to have a little bit more uh, of an intelligent approach where you say, okay, this particular road is built for a particular purpose, it has a particular uh, heavy vehicle profile. Um, so I'm not interested in the entire fleet, I'm interested in a specific range of vehicles. For example, it might be in an urban area or it could be in a rural area. And so the custom envelope basically allows you to, to the user to select what the, what the um, vehicles that are defining the envelope should be. And finally, the mean index is basically uh, producing an output that might look a little bit more like IRI or HAPI or TRI, where it's giving you a single value per um, point of change or a point of road section. But in this, the important thing is that even though it's, a, it's an average, it's actually weighted according to the whatever um, percentages are put in against the actual vehicle configuration. So you might want to say we had twice as many um, rigid trucks on this road than we do articulated vehicles, and so you could input that, uh, and that would then be reflected in the in the way that it, the, the mean actually comes out. Just to illustrate this graphically uh, quickly, the fleet envelope basically shows you the entire fleet that could potentially be driving on the road and says any particular individual vehicle is going somewhere within that range. That allows you specifically to sort of say, um, or to look at basically what you're providing to the public in general in terms of the infrastructure. The custom envelope allows you to have that bit more intelligent analysis where the example here is just looking at the rigid trucks. It might be in an urban area and saying, I'm only interested in the, in the rigid trucks. So I want to see what the range of response is for the best and the worst performer. Uh, also within the report, I talk about how you can vary this based on the, the speed, um, because obviously at lower speeds, it's going to be less roughness. And there's lots of research around about how um, roughness varies according to speed. And finally, the, the mean index is basically just taking all these um, vehicle models that I mentioned and then just averaging them, averaging them after they've been weighted. Um, and that's, it just draws a single line which allows you to have a bit more of a, I suppose, a comparative uh, or a comparison with other roughness indices. So there they all are again, these different types of analysis. And the reason why we did this, because we're really trying to, as I mentioned at the start, really take into account the fact that with heavy vehicles, because it's such a a difference in design, you get a huge range of response. And so then, this what this um, fleet road index has endeavoured to do is to really to take that problem and turn it into a feature. Um, and so, by having these different ways of being able to get at different outputs, depending on what you're looking for, it allows you to have a, a much more powerful tool that um, allows you to really focus in on what the function of the road is 
um, in terms of providing for freight vehicles and then to really produce an output that's meaningful for that intention. Um, now this, this is yet another project, I suppose, in the, um, the attempt to create a, an IRI for, for heavy vehicles. IRI, of course, has uh, like 60 years of um, development and, and actual use behind it. So it's very, very established. And so this, this work is just at the beginning. So what it really needs now is a lot more validation and a lot more experimental work to provide a much more robust um, basis for it. So hopefully that can happen in the near future. So um, another reminder, just before I wrap up, that um, you can send us any questions and uh, we'll be answering those uh, in a moment. And please let us know the slide number. All right, um, that's it from me. So I'll turn things back over to Liz and um, I look forward to your questions. Great. Thanks, Ulysses. Thanks for presenting. Great information that you've covered. We've received some excellent questions so far, so please keep them coming. So the first question we received is, before implementing HATI, Roads looked at the different roughness in left and right wheel path, IRI, and found 80% correlation to HATI greater than 2.2. So have you considered this method of validation? Um, we undertook various types of um, validation. Um, I'm not, not sure of the details of um, within that question and what they actually did. Um, so, I mean, that, that sounds like a question needs to be sent to me um, in, with a bit more detail, uh, and then I'll be able to answer that. I don't think I can really answer that now, sorry. Yeah, thanks. We'll get that offline. Yeah, excellent. We could get back to them by email as well and get in touch. Another question is in relation to slide 26. So if you'd like to go to slide 26. Yep. So assuming the frequencies felt by the vehicle is the same as frequencies felt by the road, this result suggests that the rigid truck, the rigid truck should upgrade to air suspension to reduce road damage. Is this correct? Um, I'm not sure the, the, the original assumption is entirely correct because all, all these interactions between the road and the vehicle are uh, quite complex. Um, I mean, it, it has indeed been found that um, the road friendly suspension does actually, of course, do things better, um, means that there's less impact on the road. Um, but whether or not you would actually uh, introduce that into rigid trucks is more of a uh, more of a cost-benefit analysis in terms of um, what the, the vehicle's meant to be. Um, so I, I suspect that um, for a rigid truck, because the road friendly suspension is a more complex and expensive system, I suspect they wouldn't uh, be, no one would be keen to introduce that into, or the manufacturers, I should say, wouldn't be keen to introduce that into the actual vehicle design. Um, that's just talking about the road itself. Yes, it would be better for the road, but uh, I don't see that as happening in the near future. Yeah, thanks for answering that one. We'll go to the next question, which relates to slide 20. So what was the travel speed for the vehicles and how does the rating score vary according to vehicle speed below the posted speed level? Mm. The speed limit on all these roads was 100 kilometres per hour, and that was the, the speed that all the vehicles drove at. 
So in this experiment, we're not testing we're not testing speed effects within this project. Yeah. Thanks for answering that one. In relation to slide 14, so would you expect an A double to be similar result to a B double? I, I wouldn't. Um, that was um, something we were hopefully going to cover in our, in our simulation and that we were not able to get to. But I, I'm not sure at this stage how the coupling would affect those, um, the vibrations traveling through the vehicle. So I, I would definitely expect that an A double would have a definitely a different result to a B double. Yeah. Thanks, Ulysses. Next question. So are there any plans to develop an online tool to help road managers calculate the fleet ride index or is it too early to consider this? I think that would be, um, there, there are no plans that I'm aware of, um, but I think that that would be an excellent idea. Um, Cause it's not easy to uh, calculating or using these um, quarter vehicle models, etc. It's not a matter of just having a formula and plugging values in. You actually need to have a, a model that, um, that uh, is based on, on, on software. And so I think having a resource like that will be useful um, for not only the FRI, but just putting different types of roughness indexes through that and then producing results and being able to compare them. I think that would be a, a useful development if someone was willing to fund that. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for answering that one. So we received a comment. Uh, so the comment is, it's a shame that the road safety rating didn't consider bicycles, so the high level vibrations and the road surfaces and roads with little or no shoulder, uh, they're bad for people riding bikes. So what are your thoughts on this, Ulysses? Um, uh, I, maybe this is a harsh opinion, um, but <laughs> I think because um, our analysis in this project was just looking at these roads at how well they uh, suit or serve the, the freight traffic. Um, that was really our exclusive concern in here. So um, it might sound cruel to say, but we, we were not really interested in how um, cyclists would feel on these roads. Yeah, thanks Ulysses. A question we received from Torrell. So how many bridges were present during the field test? So were they detected by the drivers and if they were, how were they accounted for or distinguished in the data analysis? Mm. Uh, in this area, there were, were no bridges. Um, so we didn't actually test on any bridges within um, this field work. Thanks for answering that one. A question from Leon is, can a vibration profile be developed from traffic counter bins? Sorry, can you repeat that? So can a vibration profile be developed from traffic counter bins? That, the last term, I'm, I'm not quite catching. The tra traffic, traffic counter bins. Uh, I'm not, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So the traffic counter bin, is, do you know? A uh, traffic counter bin, uh, I'm not familiar yeah. what that is, um, uh, but I, yeah, I'd have to be, see what that is. But um, I mean, to capture vibrations in general, um, if, if that's some sort of traffic counter that's at a point on a road, um, there's no way that we could capture vibration um, uh, for the vehicle traveling along that road or the experience of vibration within that vehicle. Yeah, thanks for answering. 
Another question in relation to the stakeholder engagement process. So can you please explain the stakeholder engagement process and the consultation? Yep, so at the beginning of the project, um, because this project was a uh, follow-on from uh, the previous project with a similar methodology, um, we basically uh, said to the, the working group for the previous project that we're continuing its work and we're, we're interested in your, uh, your continued uh, uh, interest and, and support for this project. Um, so they had some, um, some comments in the beginning about the design of the project. And then later on, um, as I mentioned at the start, we were fortunate to be able to be have the, the final report reviewed by both the Assets Task Force and the Freight Task Force. Um, and so uh, having that, that wide audience, I suppose, with different uh, perspectives gave us some, some really uh, interesting uh, input into the, the report. Thanks, Ulysses. So Leon's come back with clarification in terms of traffic counters. So traffic counters have 12 bins to differentiate the type of vehicle in the traffic stream. So I'm not sure if you've, if you've yes. heard of that, Ulysses. Yes, I understand that, yes. Yeah, excellent. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'm not sure how that relates to the original question, but I seem to be saying you was asking, uh, can you get a vibration profile from, from those uh, traffic counters? Um, which are providing that that 12 level vehicle classification. Um, I don't I don't see how that would um, relate. They seem to be two very different types of information. Thank you. Another question is: Is there any recommended level of service in terms of targets for ride quality based on the findings? Yeah, so I think that um, that there's no recommendation for it here because it depends a lot on what the the strategy is um, in terms of level of service by the road agency. So for example, if a road agency wanted to provide a certain level of service, they could use these results to do that. But I haven't provided that recommendation because um, it really depends on what their, their, their strategy is. Thanks, Ulysses. So that is all the comments and the questions that we received. Thank you for everyone who sent those through. So we will be ending this session soon. We have some final closing slides before you go. So as you can see here, we have a number of webinars coming up on topics such as road safety, heavy vehicles and passing lanes. If any of these interest you, please go on our website for more information and to register. Also, to keep up to date with all upcoming Austroads news publications and webinars, please sign up for Roadwatch Alerts. Simply log in your Austroads account and subscribe through your profile. If you don't have an Austroads account, you can sign up through our website on the login page, and this is free for you to do so. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. You can contact us if you have any further questions, but please fill out a quick survey after the webinar to let us know your thoughts. We hope you can join us in more webinars in the future. And as always, thank you to our presenter, Ulysses, for being in the webinar. So thank you, Ulysses, for joining us today. Thank you, Ulysses, and thank you, everyone. Thank you. So have a good day, everyone. Goodbye.